Hi, you've clicked Make It Known with Mal. I'm your host, Mal. I'm a 20-something-year-old girl who is working on walking in her purpose. The Make It Known with Mal podcast purpose is for myself and all of my listeners to learn and grow. This season is all about lessons I'm learning in my 20s. I'm going to be talking about things such as money management to the new uptake of this new age worldview, all the way to how do we develop our own political ideology. I'm having real and honest conversations with a variety of people. I believe everyone has a unique message, so just keep listening here as I make it known. Hey everyone, welcome to Make It Known with Mal. I'm your host, Mal, and today is another um, segment for the Four Quadrant series. Today I am talking to someone who um, is ideology lines up with the libertarian ideology, which is going to be really exciting and interesting. Um, I'm really excited for this one, and without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to Emma Mel, and she is actually a spokesperson for YAL, which is Young Americans for Liberty. Um, so she's just going to answer these questions, and hopefully by the end, you'll be able to come up with your own opinions and your own ideas on the topic, and yeah, here we go. All right. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself really quick? Sure thing. Yeah. So I work for a grassroots libertarian activist group called Young Americans for Liberty. And essentially, we focus on getting students engaged with the ideas of liberty on campus, fighting for free speech and fighting against, um, you know, college policies that are encroaching on students' constitutional rights to free expression. And also we have um, we have a C4 side of our organization called Operation Win at the Door. And what we do there is we endorse state legislature candidates who believe in the ideas of liberty and who are going to, um, you know, stop the government from growing bigger in size and who are going to pass sound legislation. Um, So that's sort of the other thing that we do. And we get a lot of our students involved in that. Um, We deploy them onto campaigns and get them knocking doors, get them involved in the legislative process. So we do a little bit of everything, but I really believe in what we do because I believe that when the government gets big, um, it's really easy for us to give away our rights. And once that happens, they're very, very hard, if not impossible to get back. And when you really look at the founding of this country and how it came about and the ideas that America was built on, um, they were not perfect. There were some flaws in there and there were some flawed people that were running the government at the time. But those ideas and those principles still hold true. And that's essentially why I believe what I believe is I want to preserve this amazing idea that this country was started on, that people should be free and free from tyranny and free from big government. And that's why I believe what I believe generally, but I'm super excited to jump into some more specifics with you. Oh, love, love, love. That was a great introduction. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so um, let's get into it. Um, so the first question, and you kind of sort of already um, talked a little bit about it, but maybe go a little bit more in depth. Mm-hmm. The first question is really just explain your ideology. So um, I guess, I mean, you, you basically just did. So maybe um, just explain like, why do you think, um, or, or how, Mm, I'm trying to think of how to word this. I don't know. Just like whatever you think you could have added more to, you can say now. Sure. Let's just put it that yeah. way. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. So to get on a more granular level, um, I think across the board, libertarians are usually conflated with like anarchists or people mm-hmm. who want, um, you know, just chaos and they want the country to collapse. And I don't think most liberty-minded people, because there are some conservatarians and like people who consider themselves more libertarian, but still want some basis of a society. So there's really a wide coalition of people who believe in these ideas. Um, But generally, the few things that they tend to have in common is that uh, they don't want the government to have a lot of control over our day-to-day lives. Um, They don't want us to be beholden to politicians and unelected bureaucrats to make decisions for us. Um, So when you look at issues like healthcare or like uh, taxes or 
education, that's really where these people are coming from. And I think a lot of times it is misunderstood by other people. And this is something that I think libertarians can really improve on is their messaging and coming across as compassionate because sometimes, you know, our side will think that they know everything and they will, uh, you know, throw out these big crazy things like abolish X, Y, Z without explaining anything about it. And, (laughs) um, you know, I think, I think libertarians get misunderstood a lot of times, but at the end of the day, the real premise is that individuals are more capable of making good decisions for themselves and for their communities than big government is. Um, and a lot of times, you know, even just look at education specifically, um, there are so many bureaucrats in DC who sit at their desk all day long in the Capitol and make decisions that affect kids in school across the country. And you look at something like Common Core, or you look at something like, you know, the K-12 education system and the grants and the funding And ultimately, there are people making decisions that will dramatically impact the lives of these children, but they've never met them. They don't know their needs. They don't they don't know their community. And thank you. And it's it's essentially it's off kilter because of that. And I think the, the main takeaway you could get from this example is that if parents and if local communities and students were able to have more of an impact on what their needs are with their education, I think it would be a higher quality and lower cost education for the taxpayer. So that's sort of like a little example to sort of scratch the surface with what we believe. But at the end of the day, it's really just that individuals are much better at making decisions about their personal well-being than people who've never met them that work for the government. Wow, that is probably the best explanation of libertarianism I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that really encompasses um, that ideology. And what is great, so for everyone listening, the purpose of this whole thing is to, for you to learn and for you to come up with your own opinions by the end. Hopefully all of my guests would have said things that resonated. One of them would have said things that resonated with you. You don't necessarily have to agree with any ideology a hundred percent because that's Mm -hmm. impossible. But I mean, you, the point is to get the gist of it. The point is to get the real message of what this ideology is. And I think that was an amazing explanation. And I did want to just backtrack two seconds when you were saying about um the bad rep that um sometimes libertarians get i mm-hmm. definitely think that uh, that is so true i mean when i told my dad that i was interested in starting a yell in my undergrad he was like aren't those people crazy or something like that and i was mm-hmm. like well no not everybody is <laughs> not all of them are <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i'm yeah there definitely are some crazy libertarians um yes <laughs> don't want to call anyone out but you know <laughs> um but yeah so <laughs> Anyway, yeah. Um, Next question is, how did you personally arrive to um, what you believe? How did you come to create, um, to get this ideology and what made you stick with it and stuff like that? Yeah. So I grew up in Portland, Oregon. Um, I lived out there from the time I was born. Both of my parents are from Oregon. And I saw it change a lot over the course of growing up. Um, specifically over like the last, I would say 15 years or so, a lot of people with a very progressive worldview moved there and relocated there. And it started to have a real impact on the state. And I watched my state go from a place that is naturally beautiful, rich in natural resources, full of industry. I mean, you have companies like Nike and Adidas and Columbia and so many other just incredible like brands and companies and all of these wonderful entrepreneurs and people that make things and start businesses. And I watched those people have their businesses basically choked out by regulation and by high taxes and especially the high corporate taxes. Um, Oregon has, I believe, the fourth highest tax rate in the country, which you know, I really watched the impact that that had, and it was not a positive impact. And a lot of these people truly in their heart of hearts meant well with the policies that they were voting for and these really far left politicians that they were voting for. 
And it was really sad to me to watch that happen. And I think growing up in that sort of a place and seeing how negative that was over over the years and watching a place that I really love and care for um, have such an economic decline, um, watching businesses start to leave and job opportunities start to leave, it had a real economic strain on the state. And the state, actually, I'm not sure if you've been following this along at all, but the state has been very close to going bankrupt for a long time oh, wow. because of I the way that, that their pension system works. Yeah, it's it's crazy. The way that the pension system works is very corrupt and it rewards people who try to work the system. And Oregon is super close to going bankrupt. And as part of all of these bailouts that have been happening um, from Congress right now regarding the coronavirus, Oregon may actually get a bailout on its bankruptcy, which would be crazy because you would be forcing states that have good economic policy, states like Texas or Idaho or, you know, any number of others that have their um, have their policies under control would be forced to, to pay the bill for that. So watching all of this growing up was super eye-opening for me. Um, I grew up in a pretty conservative family, and there are a lot of issues that I still really agree with them on. Um, but I, I always joke with my dad. I'm like, yeah, your worst fear was that I would grow up to be a liberal, but I was even worse. I grew up to be a libertarian. So, <laughs> so funny. <laughs> he, uh, he and I have so much fun talking about this stuff. And it's um, he kind of has the same reaction where he's like, aren't those crazy people? But, you know, he, he calls me up and goes, hey, this Thomas Massey guy, I, I really like him. So, you know, <laughs> here and there we have little little agreements on this stuff. And I think we're winning him over. But at the end of the day, it was just watching the really destructive policies that the far left, more socialist wing of the Democratic Party um, enacted and how destructive they were. And it really broke my heart for people who fall into that. And I understand it is a very alluring ideology. Um, it seems great. It seems like a kind way to govern people. But at the end of the day, all it does is destroy business and it de-incentivizes people from working and creating and building things that are worthwhile. So that's sort of how I came to that, uh, this, this position that I'm in right now. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Another great explanation. <laughs> um, I'm really trying hard, everyone, not to like give my opinion. Um, so that's why I probably sound like, mm, okay, but no, this, this has been really good. Um, so the next question is, um, why do you think this is best for America? If you think this is best for America, I have had another guest say that she isn't sure her ideology is best for America. She doesn't want to say what's best, but if you feel like this is absolutely what's best for America, mm -hmm. go ahead and tell us why. Yeah. I mean, I, I do believe that this sort of, uh, free personal liberty ideology would be incredibly beneficial for America, um, especially given just the spirit of the American people is so rooted in individualism and in, um, you know, healthy, solid capitalism. And people in this country have such a drive to um, provide for their families and to create things and build things. I think it's why this country has been a world power for so long. I think it's why it was able to survive so many trials um, since the founding. And I really think that we need to preserve that spirit of individualism and of small government and people being able to make decisions for themselves. And I think if we were to get away from that too much, I think this country is going to start looking um, a lot like some of the other countries in the world that have implemented these controls and are, you know, in the decline because of it. If you look at a country like Venezuela, where, you know, AOC and Bernie Sanders, um, they, they like to not talk about that because it's really inconvenient for them to, to discuss a country that has tried, truly tried everything that they are proposing and has seen all of the corruption that goes with that. And I feel like I've experienced that on a miniature scale in my, my own state of Oregon, even though it's not technically like a socialist state, a lot of the, the uh, policies there are very similar. And I think something that the socialists don't necessarily know how to explain is how corrupt people always end up in power, 
always when mm. that their ideology is enacted. And I think, I think they see it as, oh, well, that's just a happenstance or that's just, you know, a bad person got into power. But the thing is, bad people always will have a chance to get into power. The question is just, are we going to limit their ability to ruin our lives if they get into power? Ooh. And I think, I think in America, that's something that a lot of people still believe is limiting the power of the government so that we can, you know, still live happy lives, even if some, some tyrant gets into office. And I always like to tell people, if you are super upset about who is president or you're scared or terrified, then the president has way too much power. And I think, I think that's a way that libertarians can sort of reach out to other communities and maybe even get people interested in the way that we think that wouldn't have been before. Um, is just saying, hey, I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I am trying to protect your ability to live your life the way you want to, regardless of whether it's a Republican or a Democrat or whoever in office. So that's why I get fired up about this is I really want to preserve the things that make this country such an amazing place. And I do fear that if we continue enacting more bureaucracy, more controls and growing the size and scope of the government, that we are going to um, let it sort of run away to a point where we're not able to sort of uh, put that back into place. So that's that's why I care. And I, I do certainly believe deep down that this ideology would be good for America. Wow. Yeah, that was wow. Another really great answer. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, OK, so you kind of sort of touched it um, and maybe expand a little bit more on it. Um, so the next question is, how do you get people on board with your ideology? Because mm -hmm. and I'll just at the end of the day, you know, libertarianism is the two top two are, you know, uh, Republican and Democrat. Mm -hmm. And um, we basically those are there'll be people running under other um, different parties, but no one yeah. is the reality is they get like three percent or less. So how do you get people on board? What do you think um, the libertarian should be doing? The libertarian movement should be doing? Yeah. What are some like tangible stuff? Yeah. So I think ultimately it comes down to uh, compassion and being able to relate to people on the issues that they care mm -hmm. about. Um, and if I, it doesn't matter what you believe, if you're not able to do that and to reach people in that way, you're not going to be successful because nobody wants to be preached at. Nobody wants to be you know, told that their ideas are wrong. Um, so what we would what we need to be doing is really opening up our tent and talking to people about these issues in a way that they can see in light of their own life. So I think that something libertarians could do better to, for instance, reach out to urban communities, which is something that has not really been done so far, um, is to be really, really good on issues like criminal justice reform, which, you know, as you probably know, our laws are many times unfairly enforced on people mm -hmm. of color. And that is such an issue that so many libertarians get fired up about and care about, but are nervous to speak out on because they could lose their conservative friends. They're, they're like back the blue friends and, and ruin that coalition. But something that we have seen in the last few years even is a shift in even the conservative movement on issues like criminal justice reform, where, yeah, some people are always going to be on the side of, you know, the law and the police or, you know, whatever the, the issue may be. Um, but I have seen a real significant shift in things like the First Step Act passing. And that was really a, just a beautiful moment where we saw the work that like the Liberty Movement had been doing to really fight for criminal justice reform. Um, that had to really be pushed very hard, but Republicans actually opened up to passing such a, an important piece of legislation that has the ability to improve so many people's lives. And I think we have a lot of work to do in that, even just within that specific issue. Um, but I think things like speaking out on issues like the Ahmaud Arbery shooting and just what a gross miscarriage of justice that was 
And Mm. people spoke up about that. They got serious about it. And the people that, that shot him, that chased him down and shot him, they got taken into custody. And I don't think that the government would have done that. I don't think that the state of Georgia would have done that if there hadn't been such a public outcry. And I will say, out of everyone that I, I know and follow, those who were most fired up about that were the libertarians because they fear nothing more than people being run down and hurt by the government with no due process. So there's one example of a way I think we could reach out to people and grow our movement and our coalition. I think other things like education, talking to parents who maybe they're not so political, maybe they're even on the left or think that they're Democrats or something like that. But then you talk to them about something like school choice, which locks children into bad public schools just because of their zip code, just because of where they live. And I think if we can really reach parents on that issue and say, hey, you want the best possible education for your child, and it is okay for you to want that, it's okay for you to push for that, why are you okay with your tax dollars being locked into this failing school that is just continually Mm -hmm. getting blank checks from the government, no matter what they do wrong, no matter how bad the teachers are or how bad the quality of education is, your child is forced to go there unless you want to go to a private school and pay more money on top of all the taxes that you pay to send your kids to school. So I think there's another issue where, you know, talking about school choice and about children and their education and even things like special needs children who maybe they can't go to a public school, maybe they need a different type of education saying, hey, parents, did you know that there is a movement that wants you to be able to send your child to school without paying extra? And I think I think things like that, where you really reach people where they're at and you talk to people about issues that matter to them. Um, I know libertarians are big on things like auditing the Fed. That is an important issue, and I'm not going to say that it's not. But I don't think people, when they hear that, get fired up. It's not a kitchen table issue. And I think it's that's not something... relatable to some no, people, I feel like. No, exactly. And Most people, people don't even don't... know what the Fed is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if people don't think about it in their day-to-day life, they're not going to care about it when it comes time to vote. So if you're talking about things like um, job availability and the job market and education and criminal justice reform, Um, I think those are the winning issues that are going to help show people that we actually do care. We're not just a bunch of heartless capitalists, but we actually (laughs) want people to live these thriving, happy lives. Wow, that was really good. Um, And I want to backtrack again really quick um, because we kind of sort of talked about the um, Aubrey... uh, incident um shooting the Aubrey shooting uh, shooting with my um another guest and I do um I like what you I like you pointing out the aspect of the police and back in the blue and I just want to say um from my personal perspective and I'm sure you agree Mm -hmm. that you can support and you can understand the importance of police Mm -hmm. and you can also part of that is holding people accountable for things that they've done now this wasn't a police issue um because it was just random citizens who yeah. felt as if they could take the law into their own hands. But I'm, I just, I do want to say that like um, part of appreciating and understanding and uh, respecting police is holding um, the ones that mess up accountable. Also mm-hmm. too. Um, and I really like just a side thing, how when you talked about it, you didn't make it about race. Um, mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times when issues come up, um, and I'm not saying that it's not about race. I just want to say that. I'm not saying like race didn't play a part in it. Um, yeah. But I'm just saying like when we discuss things, um, it is good to look at it from all aspects um, of the situation. Mm-hmm. And we talked extensively about that on another episode. So I don't want to go too much into it again. But I really do. Everything you said, I loved. Um, okay. So then the next. Oh, this is a really good question, in my opinion. Um, and. This is how do you get people to vote um, in support of libertarian views, specifically millennials, um, 
same it's kind of the same question but yeah um i feel like there's a difference between getting people on board people can agree with you but actually yeah. getting them to vote is a little bit it's different it's a little bit different how do you how do you think you should do that for specifically millennials yeah specific to millennials i think it's sort of a similar discussion to what we just talked about but i think reaching them on issues that they care about so one that I am really passionate about is the cost of college. And you can see that when AOC and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, when they talk about things like student loan forgiveness, that really strikes a nerve with a lot of young people. Like mm -hmm. even people who may consider themselves conservative, they're thinking, hey, it would be pretty nice to not have to pay my loans back. Like college is so overpriced, yada, yada. <laughs> And I completely understand that. Like, I, I know what an issue that is. Like, I'm, I'm in my 20s. I had to deal with the same thing. But when you really look at what caused that problem in the first place, it was in the 70s when um, the federal government decided to back student loans for any amount for colleges. And they, they basically guaranteed to these universities and said, hey, no matter what you charge students, we'll make sure that they can qualify for loans from the federal government and they will be able to afford to go. And what they were trying to do, and this is just such a classic story of government involvement, what they were trying to do was make college more accessible for people who maybe they couldn't get private loans or, or their families didn't have the money to send them to college. But what ended up happening was creating a massive bubble in the education system to where colleges could raise their prices indefinitely as much as they wanted to and still have a guarantee that students would be able to make it work and to pay for it. And what became the new norm, rather than you know working a summer job or waiting tables while you're taking classes, that used to be enough to pay your tuition if you were careful. Now people graduate with six figures of debt and it's no big deal. It's, it's so mm -hmm. normal. And I think that's a huge issue where we can show people with, with data, but also with compassion and say, the government did this to you. You can point to it and say, here is a way that the government actually wronged you when it was trying to make your life easier. And do we want more of that or do we want less of that? And, you know, you asked specifically about voting. I think it's going to have to come down to local issues and local communities. I don't mm. see people voting for um, a Libertarian Party candidate and getting them into the White House anytime soon. Like, I'll just be frank about that. I don't see that happening. Um, but I think a lot of people who are in this movement with me um, they care a lot about getting people elected to the local level and talking about issues like, hey, let's check out our budget and make sure there's no pork going to people that don't need it. Or let's make sure that this is not being, you know, skimmed off the top from a bunch of bureaucrats who are just trying to get paid more. Or let's make sure people aren't cheating the system. Let's lower taxes in our local community. Let's foster an environment that's friendly to business and job creation. Um, and that's that's really where I see this taking root first. So maybe not even a libertarian party candidate. Like that's the thing is I think a lot of people hear the word libertarian and they think, oh, well, libertarian party. But I know plenty of libertarians who vote Republican most of the time, but they just are selective about which Republicans they vote for. I know some libertarians who vote Democrat and I know some who vote straight LP ticket all the way down. And we all are able to work together in such a way where we're still moving towards the same goals. But one thing I will say is libertarians tend to be very careful about who they vote for. Um, it's not straight party lines most of the time. Um, they're very involved and they care a lot. And I think on the local level, that's really going to play out in a positive way. Um, something else I will say, shameless plug here, YAL works with state candidates, as I mentioned earlier in the introduction, um, we work to elect them on the state level to state legislatures. And what that does is it allows us to get involved in these elections where a lot of the time people aren't even like they don't even know who their state rep is and getting them interested and involved and fired up. And, 
you'd be shocked the amount of power that a state house has over our day-to-day lives. Like, look at what's going on with this economic shutdown. So much of this is being pushed through these state legislatures and these governors who people don't really care about until something bad happens. And then they go, oh, how did it get like this? So that's something that we do is we try to get these people elected, um, running platforms on on things that their community really cares about and focusing on those issues. And I think that is sort of setting the stage for, you know, growth of this movement in a really long term, major way. Wow. Yeah, that was good. That was another good answer too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so next question. So you once again have kind of sort of talked about this, um, but why should people care about their government? Because there's a lot of people, um, especially honestly, a lot, not a lot, but a, a significant amount of my friends are very much, especially people who are, um, I should say like religious, um, who are very much like, oh, it doesn't really matter. Like, I'll vote and it won't like my vote doesn't count or I'll I don't think we should vote like what uh, I don't care like yeah. why should someone care why should someone vote why do you think that's important Yeah I think at the end of the day it's as simple as if you don't want to be governed by people that you disagree with or that don't have your best interests in mind then don't get involved um it's mm-hmm. it's I as like simple yeah it's as simple <laughs> as that there's a quote out there that um is pretty interesting it says if if you want to be governed by your inferiors then don't get involved in politics and that's not to say mm-hmm. that i think everyone in the government is my inferior i think that's a pretty pretty vain way to look at things but Um, At the end of the day, it's like someone is going to step up and fill that vacuum just because of the way politics are. There's always going to be someone running the country. And if you can impact that, even with your one vote, um, I don't think there's such thing as a wasted vote. I think there, if you can find a candidate that you believe in, vote for them. And this is something that Cliff Maloney, who is the president of YAL, says all the time. He says, stop voting against things. Stop voting against Hillary Clinton, against Donald Trump, or against whatever. He said, he says, vote for something. Vote for something you really, truly deep down believe in. I like in. that. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. And I think that really cuts through the noise. And just, I, if more people voted for what they believe in, First of all, the party system in this country would be massively reformed because they would be held accountable to people instead of, hey, let's just give everyone two really bad choices and see which one of them can win and be the less the less bad choice. So I think if more people would vote for things they believe in, this country would be a better place. It would be more representative of people's views. And I'm not just saying this to libertarians. I'm saying it to the far left socialists too. Like, Go vote for someone you believe in and, you know, then we can have a really fair discussion and a fair debate about these ideas. Because right now there is so much gridlock in the government with the two-party system and the stronghold that it has over our legislative process. If we just had more people voting for things that they really care about, it would break that stronghold and legislators would be once again forced to answer to their constituents and answer to people about the things that they do. So that's that's my appeal to people who don't want to get involved. <laughs> I love that. Um, and I love when you said um, the vote for something instead of against something. Because mm-hmm. I know for the absolutely for the very last uh, election, I don't know. I don't know too many people who are not voting against somebody. Yeah. Like people who didn't even like Hillary. Um, they just didn't want Trump voted Mm -hmm. it was basically just voting against trump or people who didn't even like trump but they just absolutely did not want hillary they were just voting against hillary so i like that and that takes a lot of courage too though to be able to do that takes a lot of courage yeah um so then next question then after this question there's two more and then we'll do the pro and against um how do we get to our best selves as a country what are maybe one or two things you think that we could be doing to get to the our best selves Yeah, I think um, just to echo what I said before, if more people would vote for things that they truly believe in. um, But also, I think we need to see the other side in good faith. 
So this is something that I constantly have to hold myself accountable to is not demonizing the far left because of what they believe. Um, at the end of the day, these are still my neighbors. They're still people and they're still worthy of, you know, their, the right to their own opinion. Um, that's not to say, I don't think their ideas are totally trash, but, uh, it's their ideas that I disagree with. And I think if we could get back to that as a country and get back to the idea that people we disagree with are still worthy of respect and dignity, I think that this would be a much more pleasant place to be right now. Um, our political discourse has become so, so toxic and so infused with just garbage over the last probably 20 years, I would say. Um, it makes it really difficult for people to want to get involved, especially good people. Um, mm -hmm. There are so many good people who I think would be so just awesome if they were in office and who would make such a difference in people's lives with, you know, good governance and, and passing laws that make people freer and have better lives, but they don't want to because they know how nasty politics is and they know how, you know, people get dragged through the dirt and dragged through the mud. So I think if we can start to instill a real respect for civil discourse and for discussion that is respectful and that takes the other side in good faith, but still is not afraid to really debate which ideas are superior. I think that's that's going to be our ticket to a better country. And I think I think if we can really do that, this is going to be a much better political system and honestly, just a more pleasant country to live in. Yeah, <laughs> another great answer. Thank you. Um, so the best way you think to get involved, um, and you can plug your organization one more time if mm -hmm. you'd like, um, but yeah, the best way you think people can get involved, if they are start, like after hearing this, they're like, you know what, I really, I need to get involved. I want to do something. Mm -hmm. What are the best ways to do that? Yeah, I would say um, get involved in your, your local political system. I think people don't realize how accessible local politicians are. Um, give them a call, talk to their office. Uh, you can even volunteer on a campaign if you find someone you really believe in. I think that's a super powerful way to um, to advocate for the things you believe in. I would also say, um, you know, volunteer, be a part of your community and see what its needs are. Because unless we really know our own communities and know their needs and know the problems that they're dealing with day to day, we're never going to be able to fix them. Um, so that's, that's the first thing I would say is be involved on a really local level, because unless people are doing that, we're, we're never going to have a healthy government. Um, it's all going to just be orders from the very top at the federal level. But obviously I also, you know, YAL works in state elections and we have a lot of stuff going on on campus. So if you are interested in some of the things I have been saying, and you are um, interested in libertarianism or even just like a liberty-minded mindset, I guess, um, get involved in your local YAL chapter. We have thousands of chapters across the country and so many incredibly bright students who have just incredible stories of how they arrived at their beliefs. And these are people who are not afraid to have a friendly conversation with someone they disagree with. And we just have so many stories of young people who happened to show up at our meetings one way or another and ended up becoming totally bought in. So, you know, be careful. You may, you may end up taking on some new ideas, but <laughs> it's uh, there's no better way than to get involved and to, to see what's going on around you and to talk to people who believe these things rather than just, you know, reading the news about them or, going on social media. So that would be my other thing. Um, I also think just paying attention to what's going on in the news is a really good way to uh, stay involved. And there is such a large number of news outlets out there and all of them have sort of their own slant, but I would say, look for one that you think is truly unbiased. Uh, good luck finding it, but they are out there. I was about to say, do you have any recommendations? Yeah, they are out there. Um, I'm hesitant to make like a strong recommendation one way or the other, but I will yeah, say. I was, yeah, it's fine. I yeah, was joking, but keep going. No, no. I, I will say um, 
there are a couple outlets that I recommend. So I think for like print, like written news, I think the Wall Street Journal is a pretty fair outlet. Um, you know, they have conservatives that work for them. They have liberals that work for them, but they have a really strong standard of journalism. And I don't believe I've seen a story in there that was like completely false ever. Um, that was actually how I first started getting up to speed on the news when I was in high school. My dad got that paper every day and I just started reading it every day and I learned a ton. Like I learned about politics and the economy and all of that. Um, I will also say that Axios is a pretty good online source. They have really, um, like brief, short news stories that get right into the point and, you know, again, they have conservatives, they have liberals that work there, but they do hold themselves to a pretty fair journalistic standard. And I, I do find myself reading that, that news outlet a good bit just to stay up to speed on things. So those would be kind of my two quick, quick references that I use personally. But again, find something that you believe is fair and unbiased and, you know, read a lot, read a lot of news, keep up to date with what's going on. And uh, social media is not always the best place to find that. So, <laughs> amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> um. Wow. Those that was really good. And what you said about local government, I say every time I've had a political episode, somehow I always talk about that. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, you're totally right. Local government is so important. Everyone, yeah. if you don't want to vote at all, at least go out to vote for your local government. Like, if you are over the president, yeah. okay, fine, whatever, but vote for your local government. Yes. Seriously. <laughs> okay. So next question, and this could be um, something that you hold personal. Um, the next question mm-hmm. is, who do you think would be the perfect presidential pick? Um, it doesn't have to be someone like running right now. Yeah. And um, it could be, and also, you know what? It could be, even be someone that's dead. It could be someone. Yeah. yeah you can make someone up that, okay. uh, you know, a future person. Who do you think would be a perfect pick? Yeah. If I could have anyone in the country become president next year, I would probably say Thomas Massey. Um, He is my favorite legislator in Congress. I think he is a guy who genuinely cares about his state of um, he's from Kentucky, but he also genuinely really cares about this country and the ideas and the foundations that make it such an amazing place. Um, I really have appreciated how he's willing to stand up to Congress when it's needed. And just like with this last round of bailouts, which was just a giant corporate welfare bill, essentially sending billions of dollars to giant corporations that really don't need it instead of helping families out. Um, he blew the whistle on that and he was demonized really severely for it. And then it turns out he was actually right. Um, And I want someone in the White House who would be able to stand up like that when it's needed. Um, Now that said, I don't think that the president should be that big of a deal. Um, I think that the executive branch needs to be reined in. And I don't think that presidents should be legislating from the Oval Office. Um, I don't think that they should be playing policeman for the rest of the world. That's why I would want someone like Thomas Massey in office is because I know he believes that deep down. Um, He's also a very nice, genuine guy, uh, loves his family. And I think I think he would be great. Now, that said, I don't think he would ever go for that. I don't think he would ever want to be president because of how toxic and miserable our political system is. So (laughs) he probably when he's done in Congress is going to enjoy his wonderful life on his farm in Kentucky. And I cannot blame him for that. But if I could create like a perfect president candidate, it would be him because he understands what the president's job should not be. And I think that's way more important than what they want to do while they're in office. Oh, yeah, I that was a very good point. Very, very Thank good you. point. Um, OK, so now we're going to move over to the pro and against section. Awesome. And uh, for the listeners, basically, uh, I'm going to say a topic and she'll just say pro or against. And then if it's something super important that or if she wants to like, explain her belief, then she can. And so this is pretty personal. Um, that's another thing, too, like for everybody that's um, that I've interviewed, the pros and against are 
what they personally believe. Um, so if you meet someone of that same ideology and they don't agree, you don't have to like, you know, beat them up or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, that's just, these are all personal opinions. Okay. Also I'll add, if you don't mind, I'll add one quick note about this. So my role is spokesperson for young Americans for Liberty. And most of what I do when I do interviews or whatever is representing Yao's position and the libertarian position. Um, I will say that's not what I'm doing in this pro and con section. Um, I'm going to speak from my own beliefs mostly. And I may say, well, some libertarians believe this or that. But at the end of the day, this is just my own personal stance. Um, a lot of these things will probably not be issues that Yao really gets involved in. Um, but I'm, I am more than happy to go through this. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Here's the first one. Legalization of marijuana. Pro. Free markets. Pro. Paying for um, global warming, economic, not economic, global warming, environmental um, efforts. Against. Capital punishment. Against. Minimum wage. Oh, raising the minimum wage. Sorry. Ah, <laughs> Uh, against. So next one, Israel and U.S.'s relationship. Great. So I am all for the United States having positive relationships with other nations and acting as an example of what it looks like to defend personal liberty as a country. Um, I am not necessarily in favor of us being the world's policeman and having a military presence all around the world in countries that are very far away from our borders. And I will also say that I don't think it's the proper role of taxpayer dollars to be giving uh, billions of dollars to countries that are, again, thousands of miles away from us. I just don't necessarily think that's a good use of taxpayer money. Uh, but I am all for us having a really positive, thriving relationship with other, other like-minded countries in the world. Okay. Um, electoral college. Electoral college, yes, I'm I'm pro that. Elimination of student loans through taxpayers. Uh, against, yeah. <laughs> Universal health care. Against. Carol Baskins. <laughs> um, she definitely <laughs> killed her husband. I will say that. So maybe maybe against. <laughs> puppies uh very pro i actually am getting a puppy in september i Ooh. am yes yeah. very excited she's she hasn't been born yet but um she is a yellow lab golden retriever mix that my husband and i Ooh. are very very excited about so very pro puppy <laughs> okay see everyone there's definitely common ground on so many issues that we as Americans face, such as Carol Baskins and yes. puppies. <laughs> yes, <indeed>. Okay. <laughs> so the absolute final thing is um, your make it known statement. So if the whole world was listening to you right now and you could tell them one thing, what would it be? I would say that it's really important for all of us to pay attention to what's going on in our government right now, especially in light of this COVID-19 shutdown um, a lot of our personal liberties are being taken away from us, our right to assembly, our right to uh, uh, freedom of religion, and our, our right to put food on the table for our families. And I think those things are really under attack from our government. And the government has always used times of crisis and times of fear as a means to take away our personal liberties. And it's something that has been happening since the beginning of time and since government was first existed. So I think if people were really paying attention to what was going on, they would be really angry about this. And I think we're getting to that point. And at the end of the day, um, I just want people to be able to live their lives the way that they want, not the way that some politician or some bureaucrat in DC wants. So that's my that's my big sell. That's my, my make it known moment. And I hope that Everyone who's been listening is is enjoying this, and maybe I've helped you think about libertarianism in a new way. Yes, thank you so, so much. I really, really appreciate this. Um, do you mind if I like put your email or anything yeah, like that? Sure. If someone yeah, wants to sure. uh, reach out to you? Definitely. Um, so, 
So I'll add um, in the show notes, um, I will add her email if you are interested in anything she said, um, if you want to get more involved with her organization or anything like that. And once again, thank you, thank you, thank you, Emma. This has been so great. Um, I really, really appreciate this. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. This was a super fun discussion. Yay. Okay. Um, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Um, I really hope that you learned some stuff. I actually learned a few things too. Um, and once again, like I say, at the end of all of them, this is, um, just supposed to help you learn and for you to make up your own opinions and, um, develop your own thoughts when it comes to your idea, political ideology. This is a big election year, not just for the federal level, but also for state levels. And I just, I really hope that you're able to come up with your own, um, opinions and conclusions on things. So, um, thank you so much everybody for listening and you'll hear me again next Monday. Bye. If Making Known with Mal is truly providing you with valuable content, consider becoming a Patreon. You can become a Patreon for as low as $3 a month. This podcast isn't just for me, it's for us, all of us. Your contribution will help the podcast continue to improve and reach everyone that needs to hear this. Also, consider ordering some really cute merch. We have things from stickers to t-shirts, and they're all available at www.makeitknownwithmal.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Make It Known with Mal. I hope you enjoyed and learned something new. Make It Known with Mal is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and iHeartRadio. So if this was a beneficial episode for you, wherever you're listening, make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends. If you take a picture listening, make sure you tag Make It Known with Mal on Instagram and I'll repost it. I'm currently accepting applications for sponsors. Also, if you're receiving value from this podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon for as low as $3 a month. Find out more on my website, www.makeitknownwithmal.com. You can also find merch and a list of all the freebies that are available. Thanks again for listening and have a good rest of your day. Also, ask yourself if the whole world was listening, what would you say? Don't forget to make it known.